Welcome to the Homeopathy for Mommies radio show. Your host, Sue Meyer, is a Catholic wife and homeschool mom of 11. She shares her knowledge of the study of natural alternative medicine with you. While this show is not intended to diagnose or name any disease, through her experience, Sue will share helpful information to help you further your study into the amazing world of homeopathy. And now, here's your host, Sue Meyer. Hello, and welcome to Homeopathy for Mommies. I'm Sue Meyer. And we're so excited today because we actually, uh, we have a guest and her name is Elizabeth Meyer. Oddly enough, that's the same name as my (laughs) daughter-in-law. So every time I see it on the screen, it's like, oh, funny. Anyway, Elizabeth is a midwife. And so I'm just going to go ahead and let her tell you how she got into midwifery and some of her experiences. And the part that's really, really exciting to me is that she loves to use homeopathy. And so obviously we'll kind of talk about that too throughout the course of this podcast. But in the meantime, Elizabeth, welcome. We're so excited to have you. Thank you so much for having me. This is just an honor and so much fun to get to spend time with you. So (laughs) you're cute. Um, it's kind of like just getting to start my day off with a treat. It's like eating dessert first, you know? (laughs) You're funny. So, so just, I'll start right in. I always start out kind of the same way with interviews uh, with clients too. I like to start with when I was a baby because it gives <laughs> you of why I'm so weird. I was raised by a mom who um, just, you know, it's a family with kind of a medical history. My, you know, great grandfather was a doctor. We had a lot of nurses in the family. So there was this underlying um, kind of, enjoyment of studying health and trying to do the right things. But my mom had like kind of a rudimentary idea of like eating a rounded diet. And we did like grow our own food. And my dad was a farmer. And so she did a lot of canning, freezing, all that. But mostly just vitamins in the pantry. And we still went to the doctor. Um, It was a you know, a very normal, you know, antibiotics when you get sick kind of family. Um, But when I was three years old, um, I started having probably a little younger than that, I started having recurrent UTIs. And we would go to the doctor and we would get the antibiotics and we'd have the die off to the point where I would be throwing up. It was really awful. And then I'd feel better for a time, get it again. They couldn't figure out why they give me more antibiotics. And this went on and on until the pharmacist looked at my mother when she came in with the next prescription and said, you cannot keep doing this to her. ruining her immune system. Oh my goodness. Like, I know that, but I don't know what else to do. Why don't you try the health food store? And she's like, do you think they have anything that'll work? Like she just really didn't believe in any of that at that point. And he's like, well, you don't have anything to lose. You can't keep doing this. She went to the health food store, um, run by the lady who had henna red hair, you know, (laughs) And um, they had like homeopathic combinations. So kind of, you know, your shotgun approach and they had one for UTIs and my mom decided to try it. And within three days I had no symptoms. Wow. From there, 
she was like on fire. She hyper fixates like something terrible. (laughs) (laughs) All the Materia Medicas she could get her hands on and was like, I have to figure out what remedy this kid needs exactly because she had read enough to know, okay, that was a shotgun. That wasn't exactly it. Um, And we found, and I'm probably going to say it wrong because we're all self-study homeopaths in our family, right? (laughs) I say all of the remedies my own way and then someone else says them. And I'm like, oh yeah, that one. But That's so okay. Cantharis was the one okay. that we, and it would get rid of my symptoms in 10 minutes. I would feel better. So from there, that was how I was raised. <clears throat> it was just homeopathy. And then my mom got into herbs and making her own tinctures and teas. And so then by the time I grew up and got married and got pregnant, I knew I wanted to use this kind of medicine. I wanted to support my body and make it healthier um, the whole way through the pregnancy. And I knew I needed someone to guide me to do that. And I knew conventional doctors would probably tell me, don't do that, you know, or it wasn't safe. And I just, I knew I had to have a midwife, even though I didn't know anyone except for this one family that had ever used a midwife and had a home birth. Wow. (laughs) So it was kind of just all new territory. Um, I found a licensed midwife um, who had studied at Bestier in um, Washington State, and she was very sweet. Um, But at the same time, I just didn't feel like that connection. I feel like it's really important to have a connection with our providers, um, to be able to communicate well. And um, I talked to my childbirth educator and she said, there's these traditional midwives that are in the area as well. And I interviewed with them and they came into my home and it just felt really peaceful and nurturing. And so I'm going to stop for just a second and say like, (laughs) so important if you're choosing a midwife, find the one that makes you feel at peace because that is what we all need when we're giving birth. Um, So fast forward, I had a beautiful birth. It was long. It was posterior baby, you know, with back labor the whole way through. And, but it was, I just felt so well supported, had a water birth and a Rubbermaid stock tank in my kitchen. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I was just so in love with that baby, that moment that they come out and you get to hold them and look at them eye to eye. It's just, my life changed. It was like my heart blew up and (laughs) I learned what love really was, even though I thought I knew before and I looked at my husband and I said can we have at least seven like (laughs) that was literally the largest number I could think of at the time oh funny and you and I both know I have 11 now so (laughs) (laughs) right (laughs) yes um so to just finish up how I got into midwifery um 18 months later I had twins with the same midwives I learned so so much and I just felt like also from my my upbringing I had a lot I could offer I felt like um I knew a lot about homeopathy that wasn't necessarily um a part of the midwives that I had um it wasn't a part of their wheelhouse very much and I wanted to bring that in and I um I just felt like there needed to be more of us supporting women. We need more midwives. And um, I started with doula and childbirth educator, thought maybe that would be good enough. Went to my first birth as a doula and went, um, no, I need to be. (laughs) Because I just wanted to be able to, you know, speak fully into that moment, be heard. And a doula kind of, you know, is more, their scope of practice is more comfort measures and positioning to help baby move through and um, emotional support. And I knew that I was going to break that kind of mold often and want to talk about 
the herbs I wanted them to take and the homeopath, you know, all of that. So I, I knew I needed a bigger scope to be able to, to speak to those things. So, um, so that's the, the why I became a midwife and then fast forward a little bit further. We moved to Idaho four miles down the way from, uh, the traditional midwife in the area. And I entered introduced myself and I said, Hey, you know, I would love to assist if you ever need someone to fill in. I know you probably have that all figured out and assistance you're used to. And she's like, well, no, actually she just had family problems. I need an assistant. And I walked into this apprenticeship. Wow. It just felt like God opened the doors and it was time. And that's, that's the beginning of the end basically. So I just did traditional apprenticeship and what they call a pet process to become a midwife through NARM, which is the National Association of Registered Midwives. And it's for midwives that are trained specifically for home birth versus CNMs, which um, usually practice in a hospital and don't have the holistic training behind it. Right, right. Because that is so important. I, my first, okay, so my mom had a midwife when she delivered my youngest sister in the hospital. And then when I started having children, that midwife had gone and she was only delivering with the Amish at that time. So I didn't know of any other midwives and I didn't even know it was legal to have a baby at home, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And you're not exposed to it before. Exactly. And so then, so all my children were born in the hospital, much to, (laughs) anyway. Um, Then when my daughter-in-law came from Australia, she, they deliver all their babies in the hospital, but they deliver always with midwives. They never even see a doctor. And so Mm -hmm. when she came here, she didn't, she said, I'm not going to a hospital. She goes, but so she found a midwife and I was honored enough to be able to attend that birth. And I was so amazed. I was anyway, I just, I couldn't believe it. So <clears throat> since that time, most of our grandbabies have been born at home and um, with the exception of our last one here, but we'll talk about that later. But um, it's just, it's absolutely fascinating that, and my daughters are so smart now. <laughs> I'm like, oh, if I could have gone into, you know, childbearing with as much as you guys understand, I says it would have been so amazing. I said, because I was scared to death when I had my first baby. They didn't explain anything. And we weren't taking, you know, teas and we weren't preparing for the birth. We weren't doing, we weren't doing anything. It's just like one day it's like, wow, I guess I'm going to have a baby, you know, type of thing. So I just, I just, I'm so happy when these young mothers have all of this, like you said, nurturing basically. And so I even noticed like this last time when you went met with my daughter, she asked you questions that normally I would have asked my mother. And she looks to you, you know, they look to you with like you say that confidence in us. Oh, I just loved it. It's so wonderful. So anyway, why don't you go, why don't you tell us a little bit about your approach is it's when you first meet with a mother and you know, some of the things that you go through with them, because like I said, so many people just, they go right to the doctor and mm-hmm. they aren't prepared at all when they go in to have a baby. So when they, when something like they have a hiccup in, you know, the birth process, it's like, then it's panic. And, um, and I've seen it over and over again. And that's just like, the, yeah. So anyway, you go ahead and tell us a little bit about. <laughs> well, you know, I really like to start in with once we we've established a rapport, I really want to start in on nutrition. I feel like we have to have those building blocks set down and we avoid so many complications when we know how to eat for a pregnancy. Um, and so that really starts with a lot of protein. Um, many of your moms have probably heard of the work that Dr. Brewer did in California. Um, he worked with lower income moms and he was noticing a really high rate of preeclampsia, which is 
um, where you end up with really high blood pressures at the end of pregnancy usually. And it also can come with um, headaches and lost spots of vision and from that high blood pressure. And the pressures can actually get to be so much that the placenta will detach from the uterus and um, we end up with seizures and, and a loss of life. And it's one of the things that, you know, that's why we have care providers. Um, doctors really don't know why it happens. A lot of times their answer for it is just to take the baby early try to end the pregnancy as quickly as we can, you know, C-section if we have to. Um, but Dr. Brewer found if he got enough protein and into these moms and supported their um, urinary tract with, you know, their, their cleansing systems with like some cranberry and lemon, if they were having salt to taste so that they were hydrating better um, and they were having a walk daily and there's more to the diet, but those are the basic bones of it that he was reversing preeclampsia symptoms if he caught it early enough. That's um, absolutely amazing. It is. It is. And so the now the, the great thing about it is that he was an ethical doctor that refused to do a double blind trial because he knew that that meant um, huge, huge catastrophic problems for these moms if they didn't get the information he had. But the problem is because the medical system um, wants a double blind trial, doctors don't really necessarily know about his information or use it the same way that midwives do. Right. But I would say across the board, almost all midwives know that's what we do when we start running into those issues. But I really like moms to start off with knowing ahead of time, if we're getting in like around 100 grams of protein. For some moms, it's going to be more. For some, it's less. We like to go off of how the mom's feeling. Right. Her biofeedback's going to tell her if she's getting enough, Um, such as like if she's feeling tired and if she's feeling a bit nauseous, <clears throat> often we can correct that with upping our protein level. <clears throat> so I like to start there. I feel like those building blocks are super important. Of course, we want a rounded diet. We want our vegetables and our minerals. But um that is probably the biggest change most of us have to make because we're not used to as a society eating that much protein unless we've been doing a keto diet or something. <laughs> so. right. right. I was counting protein. My, my daughter was telling me how much protein she's supposed to be eating every day. And I says, so I sat and I figured it out. I says, oh, it's like I'm pregnant then because I eat that much protein every day. <laughs> it's terrible. I, I have to have so much protein. But like you said, it's the way I was raised too. Well, and it's a good, we, we all really need, I believe that we all need that level, a higher level of protein than we've gotten used to. You know, right. it's easy Um, want to fill our diet with, you know, some starches. It feels good on our stomach. Bread feels good. You know, <laughs> it's not necessarily giving us those building blocks that we need. Not that it's bad but that we need a different balance than maybe we're used to in our society, especially in central Minnesota, like the tater pot hot dish capital of the world. You know? <laughs> right. I don't love the hot dishes, but anyway. <laughs> yeah. Well, I also, you also too, you also watch their, like I said, like I said, their mineral supplements and things like that very, very closely and making sure they're getting their bees, especially if they, you know, because we all know the bees now with it, what is it? MTHR? Is that mm -hmm. what the, that gene is that gives us the, the need mm -hmm. for methylated B. Um, mm -hmm. So it's, yeah. And you're, so you're really on top of that. No, you, if you go into a doctor, you know, they're not going to be on top of that. And no. so like, I know my last little grandbaby that you, that you monitored throughout birth, his little ears are so perfect. <laughs> no tongue tie. I'm like, yay. <laughs> yeah. 
So, so perfect. Yeah. I love for moms to get on a sublingual B12. That is one of my uh, tricks that I I learned a long time ago. It is um, one of the things that a deficiency in has been linked to like all of those oral tethers. Right. And like you were alluding to, it's really, really helpful for all of that development. And if we get it prior to pregnancy, we have even more success with that. One thing we've noticed is we're having to take a lot of that B12 though, um, to be able to um, mitigate things. And I think it's because in our society, like so many of our foods are already fortified and they're not fortified with the kind of B vitamins that are very assimilable, um, a lot of synthetic, and they take up receptor sites in our body that are not allowing us to uptake what is good. Like say, if we're eating our egg yolks and we're eating really good quality meat and perhaps we're getting liver in our diet, even those are great sources for B12 that our body could utilize. But if we're getting fortified foods at the same time, we're blocking how much of that we're getting, you know? So so then we're having to super saturate with that B12 up around 2,500 micrograms, you know, uh, and, and that's a pretty tall order. Don't look at RDAs. Oh my goodness. Because <laughs> it's it's nowhere near that. But um, that's what the newest research is kind of pointing us to. Right. And that totally makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know, with all, like I said, the, all the, the big deal was estrogen interrupters, you know, how many years ago? But like I said, it's for everything. It's because all of the toxins were taken. And yes, it's so. So if someone to seek out a midwife, where where would they go? And, you know, how do they find from wherever they're at in their area? Where would how do they find a good midwife in their area? And then how do they go about securing that for their pregnancy? Or like I said, maybe they're already expecting, maybe they're right. hoping to get pregnant. You know, what do they do? Right. You know, um, it depends on where you are as to what kind of midwives are available to you. If you are in a state where um, CPMs, which is the credential certified professional midwives, that's the credential that NARM uh, gives, um, then you can look at the NARM website and they have a registry of all the current CPMs in the country. That's probably a good place to start. Another good way is if you're on social media at all, you can look for your home birth communities on there. Um, And the crunchy communities, crunchy mom communities can be really helpful for linking you up. I would say that we're really underserved. Since COVID happened, people's, it's like the scales fell off of people's eyes and looking at life in a very different way. So the amount of people seeking a midwife's care at this point is so much higher that you really do need to find your midwife early or before you get pregnant. When you get pregnant, you can immediately call them. And um, I have had people call me before they tell their husbands. (laughs) (laughs) But it's that important. I mean, um, you know, if you want to secure the midwife that you want, a lot of times she will end up filling up pretty quickly. And it's feast or famine with births a little bit. It seems like people do get pregnant in clumps a little bit. And so um, you never know when that month is going to be where they're just filling up as those pregnancy tests get taken. Um, um, But I think it's really great if you can sit down and interview those midwives ahead of time. Sometimes midwives won't make time for that because we do stay so busy. But um, even if you can't, follow if they have social media or they have a website, like follow that and follow their stories, try to get an idea of who they're, they are in their personality. And um, I think you, you kind of start to hone in on like, oh, I really resonate with this person and how they communicate because it's 
that communication style is crucial. Like we want to be able to relax with the person that's our care provider. Um, and just to go into that a little bit, um, we hear a lot about our nervous system now, and I'm so glad that we do. We've got our sympathetic and our parasympathetic sides. And um, uh, the uterus is so amazing in that it has three sets of muscle fibers. It has the diagonal, it has the longitudinal ones, and then it has the ones that wrap around. And they're not all co- connected to the same nervous system. So the longitudinal ones, the ones that go up and down the uterus, the ones that go diagonally, those are attached or triggered by the hormones from our parasympathetic nervous system. Um, But our cervix and those muscle fibers that wrap around and can close the bottom of our uterus that is controlled by the sympathetic nervous system. That's our fight or flight system. So imagine a mama deer is out in the woods and she's having her baby and you or I walk close to her. What is going to happen? She's going to go, whoop, nope, not safe. And she's going to bounce off and she's going to have her baby somewhere else. And we are the same way, but because we are such thinking creatures, we are like, oh no, my provider's here. I can't go somewhere else, right? And then we end up in this tug of war with ourselves where our body's trying to relax. But if our provider doesn't make us relaxed, if they make us tense, then we're battling uh, those hormones and our uterus doesn't want to open up the same way. So I think that's why it's just, it's medically indicated to like who your provider is and be able to talk well to her or him. That's amazing. Absolutely amazing. Wow. Okay. So I don't, I, I was able to sit at a birth with you just recently and um, it was fascinating. It was a very fascinating case. She was doing wonderfully, but um, she did have some complications. You talk about that fight or flight when, cause you did at a point recommend that she go in because baby was in distress. So she did. And, but the hospital was very good with her. They let her continue laboring for what was it? Almost three hours. Um, yeah, it was, it was, I think it was another five hours. Okay. And so, but she just couldn't dilate. And, um, so at that point, and so when the surgeon came in and said that she felt that the patient was too weak to, um, you know, go on Pitocin to help along with the labor and that she recommended surgery, literally instantly, the moment she said that, that baby went into distress. And so there you go, you know, that, that connection between mother and, and child. And so then they rushed her in for an emergency C-section. Everything worked out wonderful. The baby was fine. And, um, and the mom, oddly enough, you know, she's just like so thankful for that time she had laboring, you know, with you and the experience of the whole thing, even though it was very traumatic. It was, I mean, it wasn't traumatic, like, um, emotionally in that sense, but it was just so long and, and, you know, very long, hard labor, but she was very thankful and she's smiling today. So, (laughs) you know, I think that, you know, and, and I guess looking back at that birth, I have this perspective on it from kind of the other side where, um, you know, I feel like it's, you know, when we have first labors, those tend to be longer and, um, sometimes harder Um, There were things in that labor where um, I was more hands-on than I like to be sometimes. You know, we did a vaginal exam and found that the cervix was behind the baby's head and that was causing a lot of that slow progress. It really wasn't making much progress. And so I did have to make that decision to, with 
mom's permission, pull, like hold the cervix forward so that um, the baby's head could hold it down eventually as the baby had come lower in station. And I just, it kind of hurts my heart when I have to be that in a mama's business, you know, right, right. <laughs> for them to go through that at the same time, though, um, it does work so much of the time and the cervix did stay forward and she did get a lot more dilation after that. And it was just such a process and that dance that we do. And but the, the wonderful thing that I love about labor and that I loved about that birth was watching the mom and her husband. Right. So sweet together. And I feel like that is so valuable, whether or not that birth you know, ended up in a cesarean section and with a baby in distress, those parents got to come into parenthood together and had this mountain to climb. And he rose to the occasion and was her hero and her support. And she rose to the occasion and was this amazing strength and calm. And he got, they got to admire each other and see like this is the partner I have for my life. And, and it was so amazing to see their love just ooze out of themselves to each other. And they got through it together. And that we know, just even from statistics, sets parents up to be more confident parents. It allows the baby as well to get ready for birth. They don't tend to have to um, work at breathing the same way. If we had gone straight to a cesarean section, that baby wouldn't have been prepared for life the same way. He might have needed more resuscitation efforts and they wouldn't have had that opportunity to grow together as a couple as we're designed to. Exactly. And actually, I remember saying that um, to you during, you know, the the labor there that I said that I think that's because I always wonder all my son-in-laws are so involved in the children's lives, like helping with diapers and so on and so forth. And I, I, my husband, seriously, he's a great husband. He's a great dad. I mean, he's actually a super great granddad. You know, they were, they were held away. They, they weren't allowed to like participate in, in births the way they are today. And, and I think it makes all the difference in the world. Seriously, I think he only changed three diapers out of 11 children. That was it. You know, (laughs) he says at one point, I remember him saying, I don't care how many kids we have, but I don't do diapers. (laughs) Of course, we always use cloth diapers and you had to rinse them by hand and, you know, all the good stuff. And, (laughs) and I don't know. Anyway, it's just, like you said, I think that is such a huge difference because yeah, because when the dad first came in, he was like kind of making fun and, you know, being kind of silly and trying to cheer his wife up and stuff like that. But he was, you know, we explained to him that, you know, kind of what she really needed. Oh my goodness. He was just right there. And like I said, he, he was like a knight in shining armor honestly. And the way they responded to each other was, it was beautiful. It really, really was. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's um, always sad when it ends in a cesarean section for me, but I'm so, so glad when we have medical teams to be able to take care of those babies that are getting stressed and tired at the end of these long labors. Um, You know, um, it's funny that we got to be at a birth that ended in that when um, I just pride myself so much on having a low (laughs) C-section rate. Right. (laughs) But um, one thing that I I like to encourage first time moms. I, and so I just want to put this out there for your moms and um, hopefully they can spread it to their friends. The information that um, when you have a midwife as your care provider for your first baby, your rate of C-section goes from almost 50% down to about 10 or less percent. It just depends on the, you know, the year and things that happen, the health concerns, but 
basically that's going to be a, about a 40% reduction in C-section rate for having wow. midwife, whether or not you stay at home. So we may have a higher rate of transfers of care with first-time moms, but when you have a midwife on board that's helping you, and hopefully a doula because it's wonderful to have their support as well, you've really given yourself the opportunity to work with your body physiologically, give it patience and time to get the dilation going and um, to help baby work down. So then generally, if we do go to the hospital, we're at the end and we're at that, that maybe transition and maybe mom's just gotten tired and needs a nap or needs a little pain relief to be able to relax for those last couple of centimeters. Often I'll transfer in just we're, you know, monitoring heart rates and maybe they've gotten to an uncomfortably um, unstable kind of level for home birth care. And we might just go in to be monitored and finish the birth there. And I've, um, but your rates of cesarean section are so much lower. And what I want to point out with it is like, sometimes our society makes a cesarean out to be nothing. And just like we go on with life, it's no big deal. A cesarean section is a very big deal. It is very invasive. And, you know, we've got our open heart surgery, and then we've got C-sections. It's that (laughs) exactly. We're we're not cracking ribs or anything for it, but we are going through all these layers of tissue. And often the doctors will, you know, take the uterus out for um, closing. It's really difficult on the mom. There is a lot of pain and recovery. And then we've opened ourselves up to scar tissue on a completely different level that continues to develop. And um, one of the things that I love homeopathy for at this point is scar tissue prevention and also working on scar tissue for VBACs that come to me because right. I feel that is so powerful because um, it really can inhibit our life later on. It can, you know, kind of fuse our organs into place when we have all of the scar tissue build up. It can make it where our sacrum doesn't move the way it was designed to. And so when we can get in there with homeopathy, it's just magical to be able watch those things loosen back up and um, the body start to repair itself in, in a better way. Right. Yeah. The mom that we're talking about here that had the C-section, she has, um, she's been home now for uh, a week. Since she came home, she's had nothing for pain other than she's taken injury sprain and injury tissue alternating. Um, and then she's taken fennicaine and that's all she's had for pain. And she's doing so amazingly well. I have to keep telling her, you know, I have to go, I go been going to check on her. You I, you sit down, <laughs> sit down, <laughs> you need to rest. So it's, it's amazing how quickly, you know, that she's feeling, you know, obviously she's got pain, but she says it's nothing intolerable at all. And she feels, she's feeling stronger and she yeah, has, yeah. it's pretty amazing. She's doing so great. Uh, and that's one thing I, you were talking about going to check on her and I want to make a point about that because I feel like our Western culture has really gotten very far away from the roots of how we should take care of moms. And I'm so glad that you are there to be going, no, no, you should be resting. This uh-huh. isn't, this is what you're supposed to do. All traditional cultures throughout the world will make the mothers literally make them rest for at least 21 days to 40 days. And yeah. we see that in the Bible. We see that 40 day period. We also see it double for girls. I think that is probably because of a hormone thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think it's really important for us as a culture, moms, grandmas, friends, whatever, to come alongside moms and make sure that they're not feeling like they need to come up some sort of uh, Instagram expectation. We are 
wanting to look good in our postpartum. We are not going to start working out. (laughs) And I do not want to go out doing squats at week one. You know, those things are for later. Exactly. And postpartum, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, I was just going to say, because like exactly what you say. And I tell him, I says, I don't care what you're doing. I says, your body still needs that six weeks to heal. It's Mm -hmm. just like a broken bone. You have to heal. You're obviously going to start feeling better, but your body still needs to finish knitting itself up the way it needs to heal. And there's nothing you can do to really, like I said, push that forward, except, well, homeopathy helps obviously with the pain and the, and the, the rate of healing, but you don't know exactly what's going on on the inside. You just have to take it easy. And, and let your body heal. Yeah. I mean, we have to think about what's going on on the inside. If we were a man and we had a wound in our side, the size of a placenta, <laughs> if, can you imagine him doing any dishes? No. Oh my goodness. Be on the couch and be like, I can't move. It makes my incision worse. You know, right. or my, my wound weeps when I move around. Well, yes, it does. But because we're, you know, modern culture, we have our, our special pads and things that no one really sees what's happening with our wound. No one notices still bleeding. Um, We've got ligaments that go from being four inches to 16, 18 inches, right? And this rubber band bag that takes time for our body to get them back to the shape that they were before. And we talk about this magical number of six weeks. And that's about the time it takes for our uterus to, you know, come back into shape. We've hopefully stopped bleeding weeks before that, but sometimes we haven't. Um, But we are really healing beyond that as well. We need a gentleness for ourselves. But what I do want to hit on really quickly is the magic of the postpartum period is our body, because of these hormone shifts that happen, are more we're more primed to take in nutrition postpartum than we are any other time in our life. Oh. We are able to take in hundreds of times more of certain minerals, like three or four times as much of calcium, um, we are able to just repair in such a beautiful way that we can actually come out of those postpartum days feeling renewed and invigorated. Traditional cultures, you know, make the mom stay down in healing, how we can heal in such a, an amazing way because of that time period that we're in. So it's a great time to get in extra nutrition, lots of warming foods, soups that are easy to assimilate, your bone broths, those things that are just the the um the nourishing foods as much as possible. Less on the tater tot hot dish. More <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I, I, that's exactly right. That's exactly what we're doing right now for this young mom. She's uh, like I said, I keep telling her, sit down, we'll bring in your meals. And she's been getting meals from um, other family. And uh, so anyway, yes, she's doing, she's trying to be a good patient, but you know, she wants to be up and about, but I said, no, please just sit down. Let people wait on you. It, that, that makes them feel good that they can help you. And so I know when I was having children, I did have two C-sections as well. when I was in the course of my 11 babies, but my grandma would always come and stay with me. And my other grandma and my parents would watch the little kids. And so the grandma would come and she'd say, no, 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 dear, you sit down, I'll get dinner. She'd do the laundry. And mm-hmm. it was just such a beautiful time. And she'd come in the morning and leave in the late afternoon and my when my husband came home and it was just it was wonderful and I just I like I said there was a days to cherish huh. I do want to say real quick that uh, we did have the birthing kit uh 
on hand when you were there and we used many of the remedies. It was really fun. And like I said, you have a great knowledge of homeopathy. And I know one of the things that um, um, you had mentioned, and this is something that I hadn't heard before because you know, like with colophylum, it's a homeopathic remedy that we use for um, labor pains to help them become more efficient or, you know, to nullify those Braxton Hicks. And then the semisifuga for the cramping, the severe cramping pains. So it was really interesting because you you had mentioned using them in an alternating fashion. Mm-hmm. And so as it turns out, we did realize there was a few remedies that we have to, we should add. It was like three remedies that we need to add to the birthing kit because, you know, they're very good remedies. And so uh, I would, Joy and I were talking. And so what we're going to do is we're going to put them together for all the people that have ever bought a birthing kit. We're going to make them available to them at a really reduced uh, price so they can add them to their birth kit to have them on hand. Oh, and that's then- awesome. Yeah. And then they'll be added to the future birth kits after this. <laughs> so I was, I was amazed to see um, how the, the um, remedy was it a tissue remedy, pituitary kind of support works right. for, the, for blood pressure. Right. And I'd love for you to talk about that one more because I was just. <laughs> down well, the young lady was having a blood pressure problems and she wasn't, and you had mentioned the Simisifuga colophylum and it just so happens in my pharmacy, a lot of, in our pharmacy, not all of our remedies are online or whatever, but this particular remedy was the pituitary pineal hypothalamus. And it has the semisifuga and the colophylum in it in low X potencies. And so when we gave that, her blood pressure dropped 10 points. It was right. absolutely amazing. And, you know, to see that work. And I, I, like I said, because hers ended up in a C-section later, I just feel like that if we would have given her her constitutional, which we ended up giving in the end, um, mm-hmm. and, and then along with that, that SAR code with the semisifuga and colophylum, I just, you know, you don't know what the outcome would have been later, but it it is nice to kind of be on top of that. Um, and, you know, I didn't have, I didn't have a lot of experience with giving these types of remedies during labors. So <laughs> in fact, it's like, you know, when people are in labor, I'm just not there all the time. So I've right. only been, I have been at many, many births, but not where different remedies were needed. Right. This one was a learning experience for me as well. And, you know, I've been a midwife for almost 20 years now, and I I had never used that before. And um, I just can't wait to start using it. Right. That's, right. You know, we're always learning. We never know everything. And part of being a provider, it's just absolutely necessary to stay humble. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> yep. Because at the day you stop learning and you think you know it all, you're done. <laughs> right. right. All the time. If I start getting flippant about that, you tell me it's time. Right. I would want to attend births anymore if I get to a point where I'm not humble. Right. Yep. And and the amazement of birth and being able to be at someone's side through difficult trying times is, I, I know I consider it a true honor to be able to to help um, someone. And um, oh, you're making me cry. <laughs> I cry all the time. <laughs> I, when I see moms and dads supporting each other, when I see the men step up and be that hero for her, and I remember what it meant to me in my birth for my husband to be there and hold me. It just, every right. time I choke back tears almost every single birth. Yep. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Elizabeth, uh, you're going to be a guest here shortly on our uh, on our members corner. You're going to be doing a live Q&A for us in the near future. We'll announce the date. We haven't secured that exactly yet, but we're really excited. We have moms just lining up with questions. They can't hardly wait to, to meet you online. <laughs> so I hope I have all the answers. <laughs> well, so- if you don't, I'm sure you'll direct them. 
<laughs> right. So with that, I'm going to let, we'll, we'll let you go. Yeah. I know you've got a busy day ahead of you. And I, I, like I said, I can't thank you enough for joining us here. It's, it's, it's such an honor to have this time with you. So it's my honor. Have a <laughs> well, thank you so much. And so we'll let, we'll let everyone go. And we pray that you have a wonderful, blessed day. May God bless you and yours. We hope you enjoyed this episode with Sue and Elizabeth Meyer. We are going to host an Ask the Midwife live Q&A on December 12th at 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. You're welcome to join us at the Members Corner. If you're not a member, you can go to homeopathyformommies.com forward slash member and sign up for a monthly or an annual subscription. We will be having a recording as well, so if you can't make it at that time, you can also join us for the recording and also submit questions ahead of time to be answered. We hope to see you there. Thanks for listening to this episode of Homeopathy for Mommies radio show. Please visit Sue on her website, homeopathyformommies.com, and join us right here at homeopathyformommiesradio.com, Wednesday, noon Eastern. As always, we pray the Lord blesses you with good health, vitality, strength, and wisdom.